episode 330 of the Cyber Law Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Thank you for joining us. We're lawyers talking about technology, security, privacy, and government, and the views we're about to express do not reflect those of our significant others, our friends, firms, institutions, clients, uh, or even really, frankly, our pets. Uh, uh, so Joining me today for the News Roundup, and we're only going to have a News Roundup today, is Nick Weaver, a computer science professor at UC Berkeley. Dave Itell, an information security specialist and the founder of the Itell Foundation. Maury Schenk, a London-based lawyer and technologist. And I am Stuart Baker, formerly with NSA and DHS, and uh, the host and chief provocateur for today's program. Well, the story this week is the story from last week, uh, only it just gets weirder and um, uh, more uh, uh, obscure, and that is uh, TikTok and WeChat. Um, short version, uh, uh, Nick, is uh, uh, both of the orders saying you cannot continue to serve the U.S. market and people in the U.S. market cannot do business with you have now been enjoined. Um, you, ha you and I have a $50 bet riding on whether TikTok can uh, stall its uh, fate past uh, January, I think, uh, uh, with litigation. Um, and uh, you're looking a little better than you were uh, a week ago. Yeah. So the status of a week ago was that there was this deal cut that was so blatantly bonkers, including a $5 billion contribution to a charitable foundation for Trump's patriotic education, that if it was any other country, uh, Larry Ellison would be being prosecuted as we speak for Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. What has happened since then is China has basically put its foot down and said, no deal. Um, it didn't help that uh, TikTok was apparently unaware of the $5 billion kickback it was supposed to provide. Um, the Chinese government has basically rumor leaked, uh, we're not going to do anything till November. Translation, this is so insanely corrupt that uh, the precedent is so dangerous, we're not going to walk through that door until it's clear that Trump gets reelected. And both uh, WeChat users and TikTok have succeeded on getting preliminary injunctions based on a First Amendment analysis. So I am not going to defend the uh, the five billion dollar. I don't think it's a kickback, but it is a uh, uh, a weird uh, contribution on the part of uh, it looks like the U.S. Uh, uh, shareholders may be taking less money in order to get this five billion dollar fund set up. Uh, um, and I certainly think that it's a it's a good cause to fight the, this bizarre 1619 project, which uh, the New York Times is trying to foist on American school children. But uh, taking the money out of this is weird. Uh, I, and I have to say, you know, I think there is a case to be made for both of these orders. Um, unfortunately, the administration has been so... Uh, odd about it. I think this is the nicest thing you can say about it. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, inconsistent and, uh, well, Trumpian uh, about, uh, you know, what the deal is going to look like, that it has turned this 
maybe inevitably into yet another litmus test for how you feel about Donald J. Trump. Uh, uh, my hope is that the uh, uh, the next administration, if, if Biden is elected, will not just say, oh, that was a stupid idea from Trump, we'll get rid of it, because there is a very serious question whether we want to have uh, the Chinese Communist Party doing, uh, de making decisions about content moderation in the United States, which is kind of what they're doing. Uh, both uh, TikTok and certainly WeChat are doing that. Uh, and uh, uh, TikTok has even said, hey, I got an idea, Facebook and YouTube. Why don't we all get together and agree on what content we're going to ban? Uh, and I'll give you stuff to ban and you give me stuff to ban. This is nuts. Uh, uh, and the idea that the First Amendment means we have to let the Chinese determine what we can um, see on social media is crazy. Right. But at the same time, a proper administration would do a better order. So like on WeChat, the big problem is censorship and uh, monitoring that what's 702 in Mandarin problem. Mm -hmm. But for both of those, you could do a much more targeted order that wouldn't have the First Amendment impact of basically preventing anybody from communicating with their Chinese friends. You do an order that requires that WeChat simply clearly notify the users in their language of choice that all content may be monitored and or censored by the Chinese government. I, I'd go further than that. I would say, so, you know, WeChat, I tell you what, uh, um, you're going to have to create an API so that uh, uh, two or three other U.S. companies can provide the messaging and the payment services that will ultimately become WeChat services in China, but which will not be under WeChat control if they are sending messages to each other outside of China. Uh, and, and there are plenty of, uh, you know, the message companies, uh, uh, you, you can't walk through Silicon Valley without tripping over three or four of them. Uh, uh, so you could certainly create that kind of thing and uh, at least create within the United States a free speech zone as opposed to a, uh, a Chinese Communist Party uh, uh, speech zone. Um, I feel like but, we can uh, maybe get you to argue a case here for end-to-end -end encryption if we work you subtly enough. <laughs> <laughs> after, <so>. all, <laughs> after all, the security problem with WeChat is literally it has Bill Barr-approved encryption. It's just the reader is the Chinese and not the FBI. So I am I am skeptical of that because the um, uh, Facebook has been bragging about the extent to which it can catch people who are doing things it doesn't like um, uh, without actually having access to the content by by examining the uh, the metadata, uh, and that's probably right. Once you know who the kinds of people are that you don't want to have communicating, you can cut them off without ever knowing exactly what they're saying. Um, but I also agree, actually, I think the Chinese are, the Chinese government is likely at the end of the day, no matter what the deal is that is finally proposed, the Chinese government is going to say no, just to say it said no. Also, not just to say it said no, but... As long as it's a Trumpian deal, they're basically going to go F you. And 
truth be told, I don't understand why businessmen are not screaming in horror at the precedent that was set. Because if I'm doing business in China, I'm now worried about the Chinese government going, security concerns, take my business. And not just the well, Chinese, they're, they're the Indians. They're already doing that, right? I mean, is that not the Chinese way? Uh, no, they steal it uh, from your outside I, I business. I think they do both. But I think <laughs> the bigger concern for most business people is going to be setting the precedent that you have to give a kickback to the government to get that's, your that's business CFIUS approved. That is a very, very scary thing. And you know, well, this was I, not a CFIUS approval. To 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 well, well actually, I, I guess it was. Yes, it uh, is. It, it's yeah, a retroactive uh, CFIUS approval. I don't know that CFIUS made that a condition of their. I'm sure uh, they would the, not approval. That this is this is something that I suspect Larry Ellison dreamed up because he thought it would make his phone call oh, with uh, Donald but Trump. But CFIUS has the president directly in the loop, right? I mean, it, yes. it is in the end a presidential decision. It's one of the few things that that he directly decides on in the in the statute. Absolutely. So the uh, uh, the Chinese, uh, uh, we might as well bring this in now. The Chinese have a uh, uh, an unreliable entities uh, regulation. Uh, they are going to list mostly American companies that they think are unreliable entities and basically do to them what uh, has been proposed for WeChat and uh, TikTok, uh, say you can't do business in China. And apparently, Maury, it looks as though the standard they're going to use is, have you been obeying uh, uh, orders of the U.S. government not to do business with companies like Huawei and ZTE and maybe SMIC? Yeah. And look, the, the Chinese hate to lose face. And so with what we've been doing to ZTE and Huawei and TikTok and WeChat, it's not surprising that they're going to fight back somehow. They are. There is some debate about when when they're going to do this, whether they'll wait to the election, hope for a resolution, because China still has a bigger stake in, uh, in open trade than the United States does, including because they haven't let U.S. companies in. But time is on their side. We're driving them to build their own chip industry and so forth. I think they'd like to push the push it down the road a little bit, but not surprising to see them um proposing this kind of list, it, just not to lose face, to say we can do to you what you can do to us. I think that's right. That, that, that's right. They, they may say you can't kill TikTok. We're going to kill TikTok. Uh, so that if there is a deal, uh, it, it may die. Uh, and finally, just uh, to come back to the $50 that uh, uh, Nick and I have riding on uh, the outcome of the TikTok litigation. Uh, Nick, the, the moment uh, of truth will probably not be the fight over the WeChat style order. It'll be the fight over the CFIUS order, which won't come quite so soon. I and uh, will probably. And I noticed the judge that uh, barred enforcement of the uh, WeChat type order, the executive order on unreliable uh, 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 products for our, our networks. Um, the court did not. Uh, ban the taking effect of the CFIUS uh, type order, probably because it won't happen until November 12. He's got time to make a decision on it. Uh, but I, I continue to think that the 
order that comes from CFIUS, if an, if no deal is arrived at, and I predict that no deal will be arrived at, will be a lot more enforceable. It doesn't have the quite the same First Amendment uh, uh, appeal. Um, but we'll see. That that's that's where we are on TikTok and WeChat. Oh no, quite not quite, because it looks like uh, um, Fortnite and a whole bunch of other games could end up caught up in something like a ten cent WeChat uh, uh, ban, because of course they all are owned in part or in whole by Tencent. Dave. Yep. Well, I, I mean, obviously I'm a huge video game player, but I will say this is real. This which was essentially based on a Bloomberg report where I assume the companies leaked their CFIUS information to uh, Bloomberg because as far as I know, CFIUS is a black hole and doesn't really leak these sorts of things. Right. But but the, the companies probably saw this and they thought, in this political environment, we have to tell people we are under this challenge. And it's also, it points back to the last story. It's very hard to disentangle a legitimate national security risk from a politically driven effort to appear hard on China. And I will be honest, I think this is one of those times where there are legitimate security risks at play. We have not properly explained them necessarily, but they are there. And Tencent, of course, is um, one of those companies that is under severe review for many reasons. But the main reason is it's highly tied into the Chinese government. It has cloud services that that is uh, allowing it to compete with United States cloud services, especially for holding United States data. And of course, it has a hugely dominant position in online gaming. And the if you look at Firma, the CFIUS 2.0, as we call it, they have a long list of things that can get you examined and potentially uh, disentangled from a foreign ownership. And one of those things is personal communications. The communications between video game players may seem innocuous, but in reality are as important as the communications that would go over TikTok or WeChat or other things as well. So this is one of those times where I would say we have national security interest at stake and they do need close review. And people do not understand that because Tencent has dominance in the video game market, they have essentially anti-cheat engines inside everyone's computers that run at the root level, same way an antivirus program would run. And it's a there are very legitimate reasons why you would not want a Chinese company to have that kind of access. So So this is this is like Kaspersky, but for games. It it is and people don't realize it because at least with Kaspersky, you realize the risk. With video gaming there is a legitimate risk that you don't realize. And I think it's interesting that the Trump administration has caught on to this, is pursuing this. I don't necessarily think this was driven from any kind of political effort at all. Um, and I think it's a serious risk. I just think it's it's a little bit obscure because people don't see information security risks all in the same way. Well, and interestingly, I think, it, although um, it feels like CFIUS, it's not. Uh, uh, because uh, Tencent built its business by uh, mostly by producing really good games, as opposed to buying companies, as far as I can tell. Um, well, I, they, I don't know if I would completely yeah. agree. Okay. I mean, they, they have also gone on a massive M&A I mean, investment trend. So even when you don't see them as directly owning a video game, 
company, you will find them having large partnerships with it, having a very large minority stake. Yeah, okay. So, and this gets us back to the problem of having an insane president. That in a sane presidency, you could clearly articulate these security concerns because these are real security concerns. But instead, we don't know if the concerns are actually what's driving the motivation. And there's a good reason to doubt it because, let's face it, this guy has trouble with uh, remembering uh, person, woman, man, camera, TV, and realizing that repeatedly saying that in an interview is not how you convince people you're sane. Well, we'll all get to see. Is the debate tonight? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Wow. Well, we'll all get to see. It, it will be. It will be fascinating. Uh, uh, okay. So I, uh, that's uh, uh, our uh, uh, ten cent WeChat TikTok uh, review. And just to show that uh, uh, the U.S. government is an equal opportunity technology hater, uh, the Justice Department is getting ready to bring an antitrust suit or maybe two against Google. Maury, what 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 are the uh, the lawsuits they're thinking about, and when are we going to see them? Well, supposedly they're focusing in two areas. One is search, which represents 70% of Google's revenue. And the other is display advertising, which represents 13% of Google's revenue. So this is most of Google. Uh, it's a little unclear. One would assume it's going to be before the election while it's this DOJ. And sent, there's been reporting that the suit could be as soon as this week. There's apparently discussions with states attorney, uh, attorneys general about uh, exactly how they're going to join in the suit, where, where they might file independently. And so that's apparently delaying things. But I would say in the next few weeks, there's a high probability of a lawsuit against Google. And this is a big deal. It, obviously, the U.S. government believes there are serious uh, problems here. Uh, this is something that could well continue under the next administration. It's uh, echoes of the Microsoft case from 20 to 30 years ago. I think this will go on for years. And it covers most of Google's business. I don't think it matters that much exactly how it's charged initially, though, because these things tend to morph as the case proceeds. I, I think it will be they will they will file a big um, complaint of some sort and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, so I, I, I agree with you, uh, uh, although it's not exactly clear. If you don't like Google's dominant position in search, what do you do? You, you create two Googles and you insist that they compete with each other? I, that uh, that doesn't, doesn't strike me as plausible. And I frankly, I think Google's dominance of search is already eroding. I, I uh, For example, I've switched over to Bing for a lot of searches because I find Google increasingly, I, I, I feel as though there's somebody manipulating the results that uh, if the WHO doesn't like the story, uh, they're not gonna. They're not gonna put it on the first page of, of my searches, and and I have been searching for uh, uh, stories about nicotine uh, as a protective uh, um, uh, uh, drug in the context of COVID nineteen, and there's lots of evidence that's kind of points in that direction. Um, four or five countries where the number of people who are hospitalized with COVID-19 who were smokers was way less than their proportion in the population, which is certainly suggestive. 
Uh, but if you put in coronavirus and nicotine into uh, a Google, all you get is WHO propaganda telling you not to smoke. Look, I know not to smoke, but you're not telling me uh, what I want to know. And I can't help thinking that that Google has started to say, yeah, we we should we should do more tilting of our search results than we used to do. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you that it's far from an open and shut antitrust case. Google protests strongly that they haven't done anything improper. And there's been we've talked for years about the multiple cases in Europe, which you've said are politically motivated. I've been a little bit less sure. But the law is different over here. The law over here is about abuse of a dominant position. In the U.S., it's about improper monopolization. And Google can have a pretty strong argument that it's come by its monopoly naturally. That's the way I would intend to go if it's Google. And the other point I would make is rather than it losing sort of pure search market share, which I'm not sure is the case, I would say people are moving towards other kinds of search, Facebook, TikTok for that matter, you know, finding content other ways. Mobile search, Google Google is not as strong in mobile search. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So, Uh, but it's uh, going to be a big fight if it happens. It will be. It will be uh, fascinating. And uh, yeah, the, 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 fundamentalists at the Justice Department, they're all Aborkians there. And so this has come hard for them. Uh, They've been pushed pretty hard, I think, by the Attorney General uh, uh, because they have to say, I need to see harm to consumers from this uh, concentration of power. Uh, I always thought the argument would be, well, they're taking they're they're, instead of taking it out in money, they're taking it out in virtue uh, and they're they're using their dominant position to propagandize people. You might be. I mean, there's also the aspect here that it's hard to start any other business when Google duplicates it and then eradicates it. And I think that the online travel business is the most obvious example. So, I mean. There are a ton of online travel companies, but it's hard to beat Google at that because people just type in, I'm going to Las Vegas, and Google shows them the search results for exactly what you're doing and then allows you to buy the tickets through them. And I mean, every time they enter a new market like that, they can put it at the top of the search page and there's no way for anyone else to compete. And I think that's probably what they're looking at here is that ability to octopus up. It's this. It's the same factor that really was the concern with Microsoft. It was not that they had an OS monopoly or a monopoly on business software. It was that they were able to use those interlocking monopolies to further erode other businesses. And actually, what happened? The the, the order against Microsoft was not especially effective, except that it it made them think three times before they tried that embrace and extend and uh, extinguish uh, uh, game plan. Uh, And you could see the same thing. You probably already see the same thing with Google, that they are less aggressive about saying we want to be in these new business areas and we're going to leverage search to do it. Uh, But okay, Uh, changing subjects, uh, Zoom canceled the talk by a Palestinian hijacker from 1969. She's still around. She's still a a spokesman for the uh, Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, which is a designated uh, uh, terrorist organization. Um, And uh, uh, San Francisco State was going to have a a speech by her. Um, Zoom canceled it. Nick, do you think they canceled it because they were afraid of being held to have provided material support to a terrorist organization? 
No, it seems to be more your typical uh, oppressed conservatives, or sorry, liberals in this case, content moderation story that you so love, and that Zoom was using the uh, the material support clause as an excuse because uh, Facebook blocked advertising for this as well. And YouTube allowed it to go through until 20 minutes in when she said that uh, violence is still justified and then they cut off the feed. So this is really a content moderation story, but Zoom is calling it a, uh, a material support story just so that they take less heat. I wonder, maybe it's Zoom, maybe it's the people who dreamed up the theory and are hoping to, that it will have legs, but I agree with you. Uh, at least for YouTube, it, it was not a material support worry because if, if they weren't liable after 20 minutes, they weren't going to be liable after 24 minutes. Uh, uh, so um, uh, this, is, this is just people saying that's a, that's a fancy way of invoking our anti-violence rules. I, I agree with you. Uh, okay, let's 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 at least talk briefly about cybersecurity, uh, technical cybersecurity, because um, DHS's CISA and practically everybody is going crazy about the net logon bug, uh, uh, which was patched in August, but uh, uh, still apparently causing massive uh, uh, compromise. Dave, what? Uh, why are we? Uh, is everybody so worried about this? Well, I think it, it's important to acknowledge that most people have a network that they have built using Active Directory in their company, and they implicitly would would not agree, but may, are forced to realize that any particular user in that organization can use any number of security vulnerabilities to become domain admin. And once someone is domain admin, it's kind of game over for the entire network. This is the sort of history of Active Directory. And you see this over and over again. The Maersk thing was a nightmare, mm -hmm. right? There's nightmare after nightmare. This is another vulnerability, the net login vulnerability. Net login, as you might imagine, is, is intimately connected with the ability to say who you are on a network. And you, in the most popular public exploit, you end up setting the machine key to a known value and then being able to pretend to be the domain controller for a little bit until the whole domain shuts down. It's, it's, and ideally, you reset the domain controller password. That's a little bit complex. Um, but there are versions of this vulnerability and this exploit that allow you to do things in a little bit of a more subtle way that would work on a, a real network of, of sizable without causing too much trouble. And that has made everyone panic. And the funny thing about this is they keep panicking. They like cease is panicking about it. Everyone else is panicking about it. Uh, and it keeps happening to them. The real answer here is if you have networks that are relying on something fragile, you need to find a way to protect them that doesn't make you panic over the weekend. And I think this is the fourth uh, emergency directive CISA's offered up. CISA is a fascinating organization and is communicating much more broadly with the public than I think the government has ever done in this space. Mm -hmm. And in this case, they're explicitly saying, you know, you have 24 hours to address, you know, a vulnerability of this nature. It's It's been a the, – the picture of panic is a picture of our strategic weakness. Let's just put it that way. Mm -hmm. So – Every time I see people reacting like this, you think we have not yet reached 
the next generation computing base that we need in government. And that tells us that what we are doing is strategically wrong in a way. So I think do you, do you think it's just government or do you think that 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 there are there's a lot of um uh, vulnerability to net log on outside of government? Oh, it's everywhere is the real answer. Everywhere. And and I think we have tried and tried again to upgrade our government systems to where we have at least what a medium-sized company in the United States would have in terms of protection and management ability. But I don't think we're there yet because we are still uh-huh. panicking. And I think the real fundamental problem is just Windows administration is fundamentally broken. Yes, um, but you cannot say that to most large companies or government agencies right now because they just stuff. literally can't hear you. Yeah. And the problem is, is they can't do anything about it because it comes down to Microsoft's legacy of legacy of legacy, where they're still using Frack and Kerberos because Kerberos was invented bef- while RSA was still patented. Yeah, I mean, the, the examination of this problems and root causes is a historical, like, it, it's just a, it's just a endless cycle of pain. But I think it's it's good to get a metric every so often on a couple things here. One is how does government do its communication? Communication is super important. And I think this is a new way to communicate. CISA is, is testing. They're failing fast, as we like to say in, in business. But they're also they're reaching out. I think it's it's amazing to see. And then, of course, where what's the metric for where we stand? When do we have to panic? How often do we panic? If we're panicking four times a year, are we panicking two times a year? That's a good metric to have for some of this stuff. Uh, so in that sense, this is an interesting take on, on what's going on in government this week. All right. Well, I, uh, Maury, uh, Vladimir Putin has said, hey, we can just we can we can get over this. Stop worrying about that stuff. Just enter into a new reset with the, uh, Russia over cyber attacks, uh, especially on elections. And uh, all of these problems will go away. And you take that suggestion seriously, I guess. <laughs> you know, actually, I, I take it seriously to a degree, but you finish and I, I'll tell you why. Well, I, I wonder whether the whole suggestion is part of the campaign of desinformatia because, <laughs> you know, it, it's all a game for Putin. And he obviously lies about information campaigns. And I, I mean, just... You do the thought experiment. If such a deal was agreed, would we expect the Russians to abide by it when they're lying about what they're doing now anyhow? Uh, So I don't take it seriously, but I'm curious to hear why you do. So I I take it seriously in this sense. This is a this is what he's been after since 2010 or 12. Um, and, um, and so it's partly tongue in cheek and partly it's his goal. His goal was to so terrorize the West with what he could do to elections and, uh, to the body politic to get them to stop doing it to him. Uh, and if, if they'll stop doing it to him, he's willing to promise to stop doing it to us. Uh, uh, and I, the, the part that I think is, is mockery is uh, him calling this a reset, uh, which is an invocation of President 
uh, or sorry, uh, Secretary of State Clinton's uh, announcement in 2012 that they were going to do a reset in U.S. Uh, Russian uh, uh, relations, which was followed by a lot of campaigning against Putin uh, during a an abortive color revolution in Moscow, um, and, and he's never forgotten that because it was a near death experience for him. Uh, and I, I think he is basically saying, "Okay, now let's try that reset all over again. Only this time, I'm in the driver's seat." That's that's why I take it seriously. But uh, uh, no, I, his promise is unenforceable and uh, not meant uh, seriously. He will continue to, to do whatever he can to uh, to say net to um, really to any world order. Do you think this means that they have not been able to penetrate Biden or the DNC this time around? Yeah, probably. Do you really think Putin? And do you really think Putin? would give up his offensive cyber ops to have a, a truce? I mean, <laughs> would, he, would, he, would he sign an agreement saying he'd given it up? Yes. Would he give it up? No. <laughs> then we're in agreement. Yeah. And because who can, who can enforce that? Who can, who can determine that? Uh, they'd have to, they'd, they'd have to be inspecting everybody, including Dave's old company. Yeah. Uh, what are we going to send? Uh, uh, um, disarmament inspectors out to immunity to check their code. I, you know, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Tesla has stepped into the trade war with China to sue the Trump administration for having tariffs on the chips that Tesla uses to provide autonomy in its vehicles. Uh, uh, Dave, is this for real? Is it really the case that they can only get chips that will do this in China? Well, I guess, you know, I can't comment on the, you know, likelihood of their success in terms of a lawsuit. Um, That may just be their way of communicating their displeasure. I will say, however, though, that I wasn't, before this came out, I was not aware that their supply chain ran through China in this particular way. And I think it has some interesting implications because when we think of restricting China's ability to use artificial intelligence chips, we often think of doing things like end use or end user controls on the chips themselves. And we don't want the chips necessarily being sent right to Huawei to be used in their phones, right? So I thought that was very interesting. But from a strategic perspective, if they're getting a bunch of AI chips that whatever the purpose are strong AI chips, um, and they're able to hold on to them for a little bit, they could in theory use those chips for a bit and sort of find a little end run around some of our restrictions or siphon off a few of those chips for other things, which is another possibility. Mm-hmm. So I think I think there this is an it's interesting to note that one of the sort of high-tech darlings of the current sort of tech world had to find their component sort of supply chain going through China. And that's ending up in, of course, a bunch of American cars, a bunch of European cars, a bunch of cars all over the world. And so from that perspective, they're saying, you know, we, we of course, couldn't find someone else to do this. I think the United States government would say, well, we're just going to make it so expensive that you will find someone anyone to do this other than the Chinese. But, you know, this is the current sort of the balance in state, you know, they're saying we couldn't and the United States is saying, well, that sucks to be you then. It's a fascinating, it's a, just a little quick picture 
of uh, some of the balances everyone's making in this game right now. Well, and Elon Musk is a really interesting character. Lots of people will complain about Tim Cook and how beholden to the uh, Chinese government he is, so, uh, or Mark Zuckerberg and how enthusiastic he was about the uh, Chinese government for a while. Uh, uh, Musk and Tesla have done very well in China, uh, and quite quietly, at the same time that he's done enormously well out of the U.S. government uh, uh, with SpaceX and uh, uh, and other enthusiasms and uh, uh, open doors in the Trump administration. Uh, for a guy who's got a reputation as a libertarian, he really knows how to work government. I, I agree. I think I think it's been an amazing balance, especially with SpaceX. But, but that said, I, I don't know how long that continues. It, it may come to a point where his conflicts with government have to pick a side one way or the other. So it's it's fascinating to watch. I'll just put it that way. Okay, well, speaking of picking a side, um, uh, NVIDIA is uh, trying to pick up ARM, uh, uh, and uh, uh, it looks as though, this is from uh, uh, SoftBank, uh, and um, uh, the Chinese government is has again said, hey, we get a say. Uh, uh, Maury, what's, the, uh, what's the, the, the backstory there? Well, NVIDIA is now the most valuable chip company in the world. It's not the most profitable, but it's, you know, it's one and a half times as much uh, the market cap as Intel. And when you've got shares like that, you buy stuff. Um, and the Wall Street Journal has suggested this is because of the running out of Huang's law, which is the speed of GPU increases, which is like twice as fast as Moore's law. I disagree. I think it's a valuable company making a play for global dominance. The ARM, ARM is an incredibly valuable technology. The interesting bit for me is that ARM licenses their technology to lots of chip manufacturers. That becomes a little bit more of a conflict when they're owned by NVIDIA. And it takes a huge company to be able to do that and say, okay, we'll take that hit because the ARM technology is so valuable, we can make more off of it. So that's that's my view. It's just valuable technology and NVIDIA can afford it. What do you think the chances are the Chinese don't block this deal? Well... I mean, I, I think the, Ch the Chinese will have something to say to it. They'll get their pound of flesh. I, I'm not sure that the Chinese need access to chips right now. So it, and, and I think it's going to hang a lot on what happens in the election. You know, it's certainly going, uh, if Biden wins the election, presumably the China-U.S. battle is going to become more sane and... Um, and I think there might be a way through on the deal where China gets ongoing access to the chips and they let the deal go through. I mean, right now, Arm is a UK company, right? I, I assume the yes. Chinese would want it to stay a UK company and not be absorbed by NVIDIA, which is, I believe, a US company. And so does the UK. You know, it was Arm was the crown jewel of the UK uh, tech industry. Uh, SoftBank made commitments to keep it here, um, and it's viewed as a disaster in the UK, this NVIDIA acquisition, because there there's no plans for such such commitments. So uh, that's right. We'd like it. Also, yeah. also doesn't uh, ARM's Chinese subs subsidiary actually be quasi-independent and Chinese-owned? So from China's viewpoint, I think they keep a lot of the rights in China, even if it does become part of the U.S. 
Well, and if they have the ability to say yes or no to the deal, they certainly have the ability to say, you know, that that independence has to be recognized more formally. Yeah, you, you could be right that that's what they will be playing for. I mean, I could almost bet they just say no and 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 see what happens. Well, then it then it stays with SoftBank, doesn't it? Uh, if I, as I remember, so uh, maybe that's better. Maybe it's not from from China's point of view. Yeah, okay. and, and Nvidia okay. will have thought about this. Nvidia will have a strategy for getting this through. All right, third third time I'll try it and move us to quick hits and updates on old stories. Uh, um, for the longest time, the uh, mainstream media was lovingly. Cu- uh, uh, covering every twist and turn in the Steele dossier uh, um, a, and the page FISA because it uh, reflected badly on Trump. Uh, I think it's worth noting, because uh, we covered that as well, just how completely the, the page FISA application has collapsed. Not only does it turn out that the dossier was, was almost – totally a bunch of uh, drinking buddies in Washington uh, who uh, came from Russia talking to each other. Uh, But now it turns out that the main guy, the guy who actually organized and produced most of the most damning information, um, was viewed as a Russian agent and only escaped becoming the subject of a FISA tap because he left the United States in 2010. And when he came back, the uh, uh, the FBI did not notice uh, and didn't uh, pursue him. Um, so uh, in terms of influencing our election and then the post-election, the, the, the Russians may have had it both ways. Uh, uh, pretty ironic. Uh, uh, and the We'll Trump turn you was, into a surveillance libertarian yet. Yes, well, maybe. I, I have written an endless piece on which I hope uh, I'll get some comment uh, uh, talking about uh, the at least the appearance of abuse in of intelligence for partisan purposes that we saw that we can see in in some of the things that happened uh, in uh, uh, 2016 2017 um, uh, and there are some things that if they weren't abuses they sure could have been and we should make sure that they can't happen again the most collection regulation team. and end to end encryption from you in the same podcast <laughs> i i didn't to, think it would ever happen uh, well so my my theory on this is we need special rules for situations where the government is engaging in surveillance of its political opponents which Hopefully, it doesn't happen all the time. Uh, it was pretty rare until uh, 2016, and hopefully, it will be rare again. Uh, so, I think you can live with a little bit of regulation on such a corner case. Uh, but I, that's uh, I, if, if you're interested in this, there's uh, 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 20 pages of talk. I, I did this as uh, testimony to the. Uh, uh, Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board, and then put a short version of it in Lawfare, uh, so our, our listeners can go there. Um, I one more China story uh, uh, that we don't have time to do much on, but uh, uh, Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corporation (SMIC) is now the subject of new restrictions. Basically, they're on an entity list, it looks like, which means that uh, U.S. companies are going to need licenses and may not be able to, to do business with them. This is a big, big deal because SMIC is uh, China's most advanced maker of computer chips. Um, and if they Most get advanced the in this case Huawei is not being... necessarily that advanced. 
But I think here we are yes. choking a baby. We do not want them to become yeah. advanced. I, that that may be the plan, uh, and uh, uh, it you know uh, it may actually work, but it'll be very disruptive for a lot of folks and a lot of people who make uh, chip making equipment. Uh, so uh, worth watching. We'll come back and talk about that in a week or two. Uh, uh, oh, I thought it was my last uh, China story, but in fact, uh, we work. To nobody's surprise, except apparently WeWorks is not going to get to own its business in China. Maury, I, I, why is this a story? Well, I, I don't think it's much of a story. It's a simple financial decision. I mean, I'm kind of bullish on the future of serviced offices. I think that post-COVID, it'll be a pretty good story, and WeWork will bounce back. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But in China, they're still burning a lot of cash. And I think it was probably a China's a hard market for them. They got like 200 million in cash out of it and they traded it for a share in their local player. And I think it's just a way to dial down risk for them and focus elsewhere. And to raise some money, I suppose that's right. Uh, uh, so the there was a FISA court decision heavily redacted so that you really, you can see the legal reasoning, but not the facts. And it turns out, Reading, you know, we could have told the Congress this, but uh, no, they wanted to see the reasoning. Uh, in fact, uh, legal reasoning without the facts doesn't tell you much. This is a good example of it, to my mind. Well, I mean, the idea is what is a facility uh, in a FISA court order that has a facility has to be specified. Uh, David Chris, who appears um, often on this podcast, who probably can't talk about the case, was an amicus to the court. The court disagreed with his view that apparently his view with Ben Johnson, who was the other amicus, that um, facilities should be construed to have to relate to the target or a group of targets. So it looks and, and like actually, though, the, just 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 to step in, the reason facility and the definition of facility is important is that's what you intercept. You 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 go to the facility and you take the communications from the facility. Uh, it's easy when it's a phone line. You just attach the alligator clips. Uh, at least you did in 1962. Um, a, and the question is, well, what can you tap? Can you tap a switch? Can you tap a data center? You know, what is the facility that you're going to extract these communications from? Well, and it sounds like it was some major internet resource and that they were going to somehow tap it by surveying on, on the names of either IP addresses or something going through it. And, and the court has said the rights to tap that is pretty much unlimited. Pretty much any facility can be tapped. Yeah, I, 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 there, there, there is no doubt. I mean, I, Chris was arguing we should try to make sure it's a lot like 1962 or 1976 uh, idea of what you tap, and and the court did not buy into that. We don't know how far they they went, but uh, the idea that this should be tied to 1976 and or 78, I guess. Uh, and then we'll wait for Congress to update the law because Congress is so good about policing what needs to be updated uh, uh, that uh, that'll work out real well. And the court, you know, I think wisely uh, said, no, no, I think we'll we'll start reasoning from, from an, by analogy rather than let national security wait for uh, um, the Democrats and the Republicans to agree on surveillance. Yeah, wise. Okay. 
Last last uh, point. This is just an update. Uh, we talked about the Trump administration, the, actually the Justice Department's uh, proposals. They had a white paper on Section 230 and how to reform it. We talked a little bit about that uh, a couple months ago. I uh, am a supporter of most of the ideas there. I think they they all made some sense. Uh, the Trump administration has now proposed actual legislation that would more or less take those ideas plus a few tweaks and uh, turn them into law. Um, there isn't an obvious, uh, I, I say this uh, knowing that Nick will disagree, there isn't an obvious um, ideological bent to the amendments themselves, although, of course, the press is saying this is just because uh, um, Trump hates Twitter. Um, uh, but in terms of delivering transparency and narrowing a remarkable uh, immunity from the ordinary liabilities that the rest of us face, uh, I, it struck me as pretty reasonable. But would you the say it has any hope based on simply, I mean, I would say like, no matter what the reasonability of it, it's almost very difficult to judge it because of where it's coming from. And, yeah. and I don't know well, if it has a know, hope in Congress. Well, certainly not this year, obviously. Uh, and uh, next year, if uh, if Republicans win, yeah, it has a, uh, a hope. Democrats have been willing to play with 230, but they are probably not willing to, to adopt things that the Trump administration uh, uh, proposed, which is kind of a shame because there are only so many nonpartisan ways you can reform content moderation. And I think this bill hits probably 70, 75% of them. So I, they, they may be out of luck when they, when they decide they don't love the um, content control that is coming out of Silicon Valley these days. I mean, I just, okay. I just think like, yep. that's, that's a great story is like, even, even if this was the best bill in the world, it may not be able to pass which I think is is yep. telling. It is sad, uh, but it's the world we live in. All right. Uh, Dave Itell, Nick Weaver, Maury Shank, thanks for joining me. I want to thank Ken Wiseman of Wiseman Sound Design for our new music. This has been episode 330 of the Cyberlaw Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Don't forget, I'm going to nag you about this. Send us comments and feedback, including uh, commentary on the music, to cyberlawpodcast at steptoe.com. If you suggest a guest and we bring them on, uh, we'll send you our highly coveted mug, still being shipped uh, despite the coronavirus. Uh, I follow me on Twitter, and uh, when I have time, I will tweet requests for people to vote on which stories we ought to uh, cover. Uh, and please uh, rate the show. Leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts because uh, you guys are falling down on the job. There hasn't been a, uh, a new review in uh, about a month and a half. Uh, so please do that. Uh, I know you hear this every week and you still don't do it. And frankly, I realize that I've been hearing it from podcasts I love for uh, years and haven't gone and done it either. So I understand, but I promise I will if you will. And please join us again next week as we once again provide insights into the latest events in technology, security, privacy, and government.